gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you discover biblical truths, teach you to think for yourself, and most of all, understand the world happening around you, that you're not just lost in the turmoil of what the people are telling you, what the media is telling you, but in fact, understanding what is actually going on. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, and we are blessed to have not one, but multiple salty pastors. So please welcome Pastor Harvey Friesen. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Thank you. Third week in a row, I'm enjoying this. So thanks for having me. We're happy to have you. So we're in uh, week three of our new series, Get Up and Go. We're all about activating our faith and actually doing something. And you've kind of broken down this first three weeks to really kind of prep people to go is is kind of the vibe I've been getting. Yeah. It's, it is going out and doing things, but it's sort of like getting your heart and your, your relationships and your life right before you can really mm-hmm. get out and go. Because we've been locked up and we've had all this stuff going on. Um, and for those of you who are future people who are listening, you know, we're just coming out of all the COVID craziness. And so Pastor Harv's kind of teaching us how to, how do you re-engage with yeah. the, your family, society, all of that, and really do things. Well, I think Pastor Doug's vision as well for Get Up and Go was the, was the idea of we have an active faith. We don't have a, a complacent faith. We don't have a let's wait and see faith. We, God gave us a faith and said, go be in action about it. And I think that one of the important parts of this Get Up and Go series is, hey, put the big rocks in first. And the big rocks are learn to have intimacy in your family. Everybody associates that with physical intimacy. That's what the world says. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the, the notion of being emotionally, spiritually, relationally, intellectually intimate with the people around you. In other words, getting to truly know people. That was the first one. Then we talked after that, hey, by the way, when you get together with people, one of the things that happens is we rub, we rub each other wrong, you know, once in a while. And so when we rub each other wrong, how do we resolve conflict? It's a healthy, mm. healthy part of life. This week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about biblical decision-making. How do we make decisions? And why Why does the Bible uh, give us guidance about decision-making? And it's very obvious. We make thousands of decisions every week, every day, uh, and those are important. In fact, those decisions kind of make your life. So that's why we're doing those three. So let's let's talk about kind of our first point in making decision making is it is it what you're thinking is it is it who you're with is it is it your your background where where does the starting point mm, of yeah. of a good decision start sure yeah yes yes and yes all I of mean, the above, all, all <laughs> the above. but but one of the things uh, to recognize is is not to get too scientific about it because that's not really my angle pastor doug's so much better at that but the the thing of life that we don't quite gather sometimes is everything we're facing is new we're on a new day. Today's, you know, July 6th in 2021. No one's ever been here before. I, I love this verse. It's out of, uh, I believe it's out of Numbers chapter 3, uh, where Joshua uh, Joshua says, it says, He rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out uh, and came to the Jordan, and there they lodged before uh, they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp. They commanded the people, saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall go out from this place and go after it. Mind you, think about this. I, I don't want to be too similar and silly. I'm not trying to be silly about it. But what was supposed to be a two-week journey across the desert when they were leaving Egypt turned into a 40-year wandering. Mm-hmm. Okay, kind of feels like what we thought with COVID, you know, crush the curve. And then it's, <laughs> It'll you know, just this. Be a couple and, weeks, we yeah, promise. <laughs> you know, by May, we'll be doing everything normal again. And it didn't work out that way. And so what I think is interesting is how this verse ends uh, with it is that he gives specific instruction and he says, don't come too near the Ark of the Covenant, uh, but 
look to it so that you will know the way to go. Uh, And then he finishes with this last line, for you have not passed this way before. The world has never passed this way before. A true global, and at least we could say without 8 billion people, have never passed this way before with a full reset going on culturally, financially, relationally, uh, travel-wise, the inability to travel, you know, all the different components. So we've not gone this way before, and that means that there's a load of change going on. And one of the hardest things that happens is change forces decision-making. Mm. And so that's why a lot of people are struggle is that they look at it and go, I just, I don't want to I wanted to, to keep of, doing yes. what I was doing. Why Status do I have quo. to make, I mean, yeah. I, I think about one of the most stressful points in my life was graduating high school because at that point the world as far as your life plan is done telling you what you have to do right Uh, it's like okay well now what do i do and it's like we have a lot of seniors that you know went through that a couple weeks or a couple months ago but it's like that was one of the biggest points and my first real big adult decision was what do i do next my mom said go forth, do whatever you think is going to be best for you. And I'm like, well, no, I, w- I want you to tell me what to do Guide because me, this yeah. is stressing me out that now I'm making my decisions and I'm responsible. And I think that's part of it, right? Like, I, I, Absolutely. You ask a three-part question a moment ago and, you know, is it is it our upbringing? I mean, how all these kinds, kinds of things come together? And, and I would say, and I said, yes, yes, and yes, but I wasn't trying to be silly about it. Uh, we... When I was nine years old, I had a paper route and I was mowing grass and had a paper route. And now my dad ran the whole paper route and I would go around collecting money. Uh, you know, every every month, the Stars and Stripes in Heidelberg, Germany, you had to get paid uh, and they had to pay for it. It was $4.50, which was the best thing in the world for a nine-year-old's life. What, right. Because what was a guy going to do? He's going he's gonna to stand there and he's going to give you a $5 bill and go, okay, kid, keep it. Right. So that meant every stairwell I went up, I had the potential for $3.00. Right. Mm. So, and we, we had hundred, you know, of those stairwells. So I'm going around collecting her. I made so much money as a nine-year-old, but you know, what was so powerful about it is that when you have a job, what it does is it forces external decision-making and you get trial and error. And oh, by the way, at the bottom of the stairwell was my dad. And so if something didn't go right or wrong, he'd go, Hey, what's going on up there? Yeah, dad, I don't know what to do with this like that. So decision-making is meant to happen again in a biblical family where we're teaching that. But but we live in a culture right now, and you, you kind of touched on a moment ago, is our culture is using the word adulting. And I'm, and I'm, I kind of giggle with that. Maybe I'm going to be salty <laughs> right now or whatever, but isn't we life. We encourage that here. Okay, good. I, I've seen the salt shaker there, but yeah, it. It is about making decisions, and there's nothing wrong with making decisions, but what's gone on is is that we sort of like put bubble wrap around all of our kids and said, we'll make all the decisions for you, and lo and behold, they're 26 and still not making decisions. And, right. you, and now they're out there in this public world, and here's the hard part. The world around them is saying, make a decision. What are you going to do about that? And they don't know where to go, what to do. That is a critical thing about what we do. And so when I talked about earlier putting the big rocks in, let me give you a few lines. And we're kind of prepping for Sunday morning, right? So here's sort of what we're going to talk about. And that is, is that the world values knowledge, the Bible values wisdom. And there's a very important distinction about that. Knowledge can be a bunch of little pebbles, factoids, trivia, if you will. What's the big game show everybody loves? Jeopardy, right? It's, it's, It's all a bunch of trivia that literally doesn't matter right uh well i mean it can but it doesn't if you know what i mean by day-to-day that. life it yeah exactly does not Here's, make big influences yeah what would it look like if you didn't have a call a game show called jeopardy but you had a game show called wisdom and on that game show i mean nobody would watch it because everybody like oh gosh i feel like i'm talking to the pastor again or i'm talking to somebody <laughs> whatever but the notion is what would it look like to be a wise person 
What would it look like to be a person that made wise decisions? Because I think wisdom is taking knowledge, coupling it with what I would call understanding. The Bible talks about this. And then knowing when to apply the knowledge based on that understanding. You see, wisdom is all about when and if. Knowledge is simply about that cup is a third full. Uh, Okay, I have that piece of knowledge. Okay, so what should I do with that cup? Well, if I leave it here for two weeks, wisdom tells me that it's going to stink. Uh, so what we want to do is we want to actually put the big rock of rock of wisdom into our lives, not just knowledge. But our world is all about just factoid knowledge, which is why Columbia did a huge study. I, and you guys have talked about with the with the school of, of thought, you know, that comes out of there. But one of the things that they went and looked at was one of the professors who left that place wrote a deal and he said, these kids come in here and they get their first B of their lives and they freak out and lock up and don't know what to do because no one ever allowed them to fail because they had the bubble wrap tied around them all their lives. Right. That's not living. And, and you know, what's so sad is it causes so much internal duress as well. So anyway, one of the pieces we want to talk about is big rocks first. And one of the big rocks is kind of that second. Yes. When you ask earlier, is it, wait, is it the people? Well, Proverbs twelve fifteen says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise person is one who listens to counsel. Uh, what that means is, is that you have wise people in your life that you associate with. What you were saying when you wanted to, you were leaving your home and you looked at your mom and said, "What should I do?" And she said, "Go, just go do." You know, and you went, but you're the you're a person of wisdom. I what would be your wisdom? You know me. You know my makeup. You know my gifts. You know my talents. You know my aspirations. You've watched me trial and error succeed and fail, etc. I'm asking a wise person in my life, what do you think I ought to consider? Well, and I think that's, I think the best people and the most wise people always look to outside sources. It's you do, you should make the, the final decision is yours, but sure. getting information from people that are trustworthy in your life, even before taking this job here at Foothills, I talked to one of my mentors and I said, Hey, I have this opportunity over in Oregon and I have this opportunity in Idaho. One of them, you know, ministry doesn't pay super well, contrary to popular belief I hear. (laughs) And so, um, this other job was paying significantly more. And she said, I think your heart from what I know of it would be much happier serving in something that isn't making somebody a ton of money, but instead actually making a real impact in people's lives. And I said, I think, I think you're right. You know, there's, there's what the world tells me, which is I should go chase after this, this money thing. But she's like, I think you're going to be miserable just chasing after money at this other job. I think your heart and your soul longs to serve. And this is a place where you can serve with your skills. Well, and what you just demonstrated uh, right there for everybody, well done. And parents pay attention. What he just said there is you went to a person who has godly wise counsel, who cares about you more than what you do who cares about the outcome of your life more than the world outcomes that we look at, and said, I think this would be a great—these are things you should consider. Now, interesting, she was not making your decision for you. She was actually empowering you with greater data points to make a decision. This is a distinction we want to help with our kids is, I I mean, I'll say this oftentimes to my kids. I don't know. You decide. Tell me what you're going to do. Hey, what's going to be uh, your—one of the cool things that we did was is that we never— we talk with our kids about degree programs, but we never, ever picked classes with or for them. 
we were there to answer questions, help them wonder about that and say, hey, well, if you're thinking about this and I know how much you like this, maybe you might want to consider a class about this. And then they go find their own class and do all of that. Right. Um, and so we, we, again, we want to do big rock teaching, which is wisdom-based teaching rather than micromanaging little details around knowledge. And your friend did that with and for you and you made yes. a great choice. And oh, by the way, I mean, we get paid not as much in ministry as you do maybe out in the marketplace, but you know the, the retirement plan is amazing. The is retirement what I heard. plan yeah. is he's going to die to get but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's a good one. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I actually could I let me just salt this for just a moment. You know, if I could, is one of the big things that we mistake is that big decisions is re are really nothing more than a conglomeration of a lot of small decisions. Mm. You had been putting yourself in the place to where you were skilled, crafted, able to do all the things you know how to do, which made you then uh, available and not only available, but qualified to go do either of those jobs. Think about the plethora of small decisions you made along the way where you said, I'm going to learn my craft. I'm going to understand technology. I'm going to understand the notion of integration. I'm going to understand the people side of it. I'm going to do all. So she was saying, you've prepared yourself. That was, those, those are the big, if I could call it this way, those are the big small decisions that we need to make again off of wisdom. So decision-making, we put ourselves into a failure position a lot when all we do is focus on the big decision rather than the small things, the disciplines to get us to the bigger decisions. Well, and I like the way you talked about the, and I, I, I mean, we have a rough outline for, you know, people to know, we kind of have an idea of what we want to talk about, but I kind of want to throw this out. You said people are too afraid to fail. And I think, yeah. I think about the first kind of week I met you mm. and you talked about, Hey, I've had a few businesses and they failed and you don't, it's not spilled milk for you. It's like, you know, obviously you take care of the employees and the people that work for you, but it's like, you're not afraid to do something as somebody who is business savvy when you were outside of ministry for a while, you're not afraid of making a decision to fail. And I think my generation and everyone below us, we get so like, I remember I cried the first time I got a B mm. and this was in high school. I, it didn't take me till college to get See, my, at my house. They celebrated the first time I got a B. So <laughs> we just lived on different sides of the whole yes. equation. <laughs> but it's like, I think that's just something innate in my generation and lower. And I'm yeah. sure it, I think it goes right, up, yeah. but I, I mean, what well, what empowers you that way? Uh, well, it goes, it goes back a little bit to the bubble wrap in that I, man, if one of the, I mean, my dad moved out when I was 14, you know, I mm. mean, we moved to America. My dad looked at, you know, my mom and all of his kids and said, Hey, I promise you I'd take you to America. You're here. Have a great life. And so it was okay. Go make a decision. Um, what, what, so that was a nature nurture kind of conversation around that for my life. But what you're asking, I think a, 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 another question, why, why does failure not bother me? Uh, I think there's two reasons for that. I disassociate the issue from the person. Mm. I might have failed. This might have failed. I am not a failure. Mm. And one of the things we get wrong in parenting is that we associate the failure with the kid and that that kid was trying. I mean, effort really does matter. Trying really does count. Coaches look for this. Employers look for this. Uh, spouses look for this. I mean, people who want to consider being a spouse or someone look at this. Hey, do they keep trying when stuff goes wrong? Well, sometimes people just stop trying. And that, that's a bad quality trait. And the reason why we stop that is, is this. We focus on the failure rather than the goal. We, we, and, and so what you, I mean, think about it, go back to, you got one B that doesn't, that doesn't disqualify you from great things in your future. Right. 
And what it does is, is that it, it says to you, okay, I need to shore that area up a little bit better, right? I mean, so I would suggest that it is the process of failing. I, 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 I don't know. I bought into this idea early. Failure is the ability to start over with better information. Mm. That's what it is. Embrace it. I mean, and part of it is I played baseball. Baseball is a game of failure. The best hitters, the best hitters. You go look right now, there's probably 15 to 20 guys in the entire major leagues that are batting over 300. That means over 70% of the time, the majority of them are failing. And you go, well, that's okay. They keep trying and they keep going after it. I, I think one of the things that we're so worried about with our kids in failure is we're afraid it'll break their spirit. Mm. You, know what it, you know what failure actually does? It reinforces your spirit. You know what's so interesting is that I have three of my kids have broken their left collarbone. It's a freezing thing, right? <laughs> and so broken their, their left Some have glass jaws. Some have some families have glass, glass collarbones. collarbones. Yeah, we had glass Just on the left side. Just on the left side. <laughs> and so we broke, you know, we broke these these uh, ones. I'll tell the story on my son. It was it was a really interesting one. It was his junior year of high school. We had talked about, hey, you know, you gotta be prepared, you're gonna have to work. This is the year the scouts are looking, all those kinds of things, and it's a big year and stuff. And he made a decision to go snowboarding with some friends. And when he went on the snowboard, uh, the first thing happened is he went on the first run and he went down, he went whack and broke his left collarbone. Mm. Wasn't his right side because he was a right-handed pitcher, but uh, he broke that left collarbone and it kept him off of the, uh, one of the elite teams in all of Denver. And so it, it hurt. It was hard. It was whatever. But what was interesting when I watched that was the doctor said, you know what, it's going to heal back uh, better and stronger uh, because of your age and all those other kinds of things, and it'll actually be okay. Uh, we won't have to do any surgery on it. But what was the greater lesson in all that for Isaac was when you make decisions, there are repercussions that matter that can keep you from greater goals. Mm. One of the things we always talked about with our family was greater goals because part of decision-making is the balancing act of short-term goals coupled with long-term goals. And a lot of times what we do we really focus only on the short-term goals, which end up costing us the true long-term ones we want to accomplish. Right. So I, I think that speaks to your question a little bit. Um, Isaac failed in that scenario, but the kid went on and played D1 baseball. He ended up being the next year, that senior year, of his, uh, he was the Denver Metro League Player of the Year. Wow. And that was a turning point for him because at that point, someone looked at him and wrote him off, and that became the driver that – led into success. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, if I channel my inner pastor, Doug here, it's that deconstruction mentality of a single failure then voids the entirety of that topic, right. person, whatever, company, whatever. You yeah. make one mistake and then suddenly the whole thing can be thrown out based on the what the culture is propagating now, which is, you know, I find one issue with this one thing and now the whole thing's void right. and we, we apply that to the children. The child failed once, so he just must be a loser and throw right. him out. He can't be trusted with anything ever again. And so we write people off. And yeah. and and I look, we're a product of our culture too, right? When when I grew up, I mean, in in my era, dads were out in the driveways, you know, had the hood up and were changing oil and doing different things, you know, underneath the car and all like that. We have vehicles now. I I wouldn't even know, I barely know where to put the gas in, right? right? I mean, I'm being silly, but I'm being honest. I don't know anything about how that motor works and where it runs and what needs to be done. I just take it down to a place and then they fix it and I pay them a bunch of money and I get to drive it home. We secondarily also live in a culture that has so much wealth that even with the small things, if something breaks, what do we do? Toss it. Just toss it and get a new one, right? Mm. We do that relationally as well. We do we are so accustomed our world, our culture out of wealth, and I think it's actually indirect. I think it happened and we went, wait, did we just create that? It was an unintended consequence, which is 
we have built a narcissistic world. You can't go to lunch today and order something without having to answer 15 very specialized questions right. <laughs> just to get to that salad with ranch dressing, no croutons, no cheese. Right. I, I mean, so, and uh, yeah, so I, I think that's part of where we're at is that we have all these meaningless decision things that we do, which are really not decisions. What, what they are is preferences. I think that one of the big parts about making good decisions for life is this, is that we have to go to God for wisdom. James chapter 1, let me read it a little bit real quick. It says, if, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. James chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to talk about that over the, over the weekend this weekend. Mm. When Pastor Doug and I first met each other, one of the things that he required of me in discipleship was for me to memorize verses. This was one of the verses that I had to memorize. And, what, and, and he literally said, the greater goal you want is to have wisdom. I, I, I give you an illustration. When we talk with our children about college, we're, I'm not after a degree. We're not after a degree. They're not after a degree. They're after an education. Mm. There's a very different, uh, man, you can split atoms off of how small that is, but how meaningfully different it is. Go get an education. I want you to learn how to think, not just what someone says you should think, right? And again, that's about decision-making. And so, when, when we lack wisdom, one of the greatest resources is the God who is the God of wisdom gives it out freely. He says, ask our God generously and he will give it to you. But, but then he says this, uh, he, will not, he will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask, be sure your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with a divided loyalty, in other words, I'm going to go ask God, but I'm not quite sure he has anything to say about this, but I'll just ask him just in case. It's kind of like cross my fingers in the spiritual world kind of thing. Hedging my bets. Yeah, I'm hedging my bet. Exactly. And so, so we want wisdom. And we, when we're praying for, here's what we pray every night. If you're a parent out there for our children growing up, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we pray that they might grow in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with people. It's a wonderful verse to pray over your child. That, that was and has been a 20-year prayer in our family over our children on a, on a regular nightly basis. So, so when we're making decisions what should we, we, we first seek God's face in the decision, right? We're, we're looking to him for the wisdom of, is this the correct decision we should be making? What should our next step be? We're obviously, you also, and I think you hit on a good point. It's don't just ask and then go off and do your own thing. You need to be like right. committed to whatever he says is the right decision. Even if you're really excited about it, you know, maybe I'm trying to make a decision on, you know, a creative piece and I'm looking at it and I just keep hearing this. No, this isn't the time or no, this isn't the the thing, but my internal soul's like, but I really want to do it. I have to be kind of content with no's or absolutely. that's not the right thing, right? Is that is yes. that part of that? Well, absolutely. One of the, one of the things we're going to talk about over the weekend is, is how do we build contentment into our lives? What does contentment mean? And one of the decisions that we have to come, that one of the things that we need to do in good decision making is that we need to, number one, divide them up into small pieces. Number two, we need to stop and reflect on things. We are a culture that has stopped thinking. We're so busy from the this to the this to mm. the this to this. One of the great things we can do is stop and think about decisions for a little bit longer. Have a conversation with someone meaningful uh, to you where you're literally just bantering around, hey, I just want to share an idea. I'd like to get your feedback on it, etc. Those are such powerful, meaningful things in our lives. And then we also need to have reflective time with God on that he, he, and to get to this point about contentment. When you, I, and I literally have written this out with my life goals and, and written it in. What is enough for me? Mm. What is enough for me? 
See, the, and we talked about it a little bit last weekend. We're going to do it again this weekend. Is is wants and needs drive so much decision making of our lives. And, and honestly, because we live in such wealth and such a wealthy time in the world, and by the way, if you have a car, uh, you're in the world's top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world, okay? So it's not, I mean, we're not talking about people that, you know, flew jets into Sun Valley yesterday. Right. We're talking about you, we, anybody listening to this podcast has some form of wealth. And so w- with that, we have this ability to just buy, and if it didn't work, we throw it away and get something else. That, it, 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 there's an old line, you know, in business, money makes you stupid, <laughs> Too much money makes you stupid, right? Because what it does is it forces you to no longer to be intuitive and to be thinking and to be working hard at an answer to something. We want to stop long enough to do all of that. One of the places that we need to stop long enough, and I think everybody has to answer this question for themselves, is why am I here? Mm. Literally stop. And this isn't navel-gazing. This is actually a pertinent question. Why am I here? When your friend was talking with you earlier, we were discussing about what you might want to do forward in your life. She was really asking you the question, what, what have you decided why you're here, Jesse? Why right. are you here? And, you, and I know, I mean, I know you. I know the things you do for summer camp for kids up in the mountains and things like that. I think that your why I'm here uh, uh, value then kicked in and said, I'm really here to make a real difference in people's lives because I really care about people. And I think I can do things that not only make a living, but I can also do things that matter Mm. in people's lives. That guides your decision-making, right? Values. Our values guide us how we do it, but we have to think about our values before we get to them. Absolutely. Well, and I think, I mean, on top of that, we're we're really looking at making substantive decisions, right? We're not Mm -hmm. here to just make the one that's going to make us look the coolest. Um, I think one of the things I love the most, it's like a lot of churches or theater venues and stuff, they'll go and look at the most expensive um, version of what they could have. And then they go, oh man, if only I could have that. But I found some of the most creative solutions in anything are by those churches that are like, I don't have an unlimited budget. So I'm going to go and, you know, take this free software and I'm going to take this and this. And I've created this system that then those big churches are like mimicking because they're like, I had never even thought they right. no no such device existed. So, and we couldn't just throw money at it. So now we just never got to that point. And I'm like, I'm looking at YouTube videos of like itty bitty churches that are like, Hey, we combine this, this, and this. And now we're able to do this thing that not even the big churches can do with all of the money yes. in the world. It makes you push and yeah. and work for that solution and i think that's substantive rather than just like well we're just gonna buy this brand name thing because then we yeah. can say we had it or uh, you know oh you're 100 percent right and and not only that the beauty of growth that happens while you're being while you're applying ingenuity because ingenuity comes with ingenious right that's in, mm. that's genius is that ingenious ingenuity comes from the notion of striving hard towards something but what's more powerful is those groups that have had less and built something, we've all done this, we do this here all the time, right. is that we won't have some Cadillac thing, but what we'll do is we'll take a Chevy and we'll work it hard, but here's what's great. You get the great gift of learning along the way, which is what's called experience. Yes. And I'm one line I've used a long, long time, experience is a beautiful thing except for how you come by it. Mm. <laughs> right? Because it's a beautiful thing, except for how you get it. And, and, but you know what? One of the best things that you can ever have 
for making better decisions down the road is experience. And experience is built off of bad experiences. The reason why we make rules is because we learned that's not the way to do it. And all of a sudden you get that along the way, whereas the person who built it on their own has this set of understanding about it, and now they go do something and it works really well, whereas the person who bought something right out of the box looks at it and goes, I don't know what to do with this. Different Because one person trained themselves to think, and thinking is at the heart of decision-making. Well, and it's it's the same thing, you know, we, we get equipment, and one of the best advice I ever got when working with cameras is, any camera can do the job you want. You can make any film you want with it, as long as you understand the limitations of that equipment. Yeah. As long as you create your piece around the limitations that that piece of equipment has, you can do anything with it. You just have to know it. When you can just throw things at it or when things just fall into it or somebody makes a decision for you, you're no longer really making that that decisions out of your hands and then you're just being told what to do. It's the same thing I tell with the interns. It's like, they'll say, well, what do you want to do on this? And I'm like, I want you to go do it and then we'll evaluate what it's actually doing. Because if I just tell them exactly what my idea is, one, it tends to not be as good as the idea they eventually end up coming up with, but two, it robs them of the opportunity to make the decisions on their own yes and then they have no experience of making that decision i'm i'm stealing that away from them absolutely it is thievery when we make all of our kids decisions or we make all of our employees decisions we are stunting their growth we're stopping them from learning to flex the muscle you said something very interesting you said i want them to gain the understanding remember we said this earlier is that wisdom is the application of understanding and knowledge and then i'll throw in a third point wisdom is the understanding of knowledge so knowing what to do then there's understanding which is why we're doing this and then here comes the third one it's the most important one wisdom says should we do this mm. see because that's the other one some of the best decisions i've ever made were ones where i said no nah, no nah, i'm not gonna do just because i can buy that camera do i need to buy that camera <laughs> exactly exactly and 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 it's and it's that way with parenting it's that way with businesses it's that it, all those kinds of things we want to have wisdom which is knowing the knowledge what having the understanding why and then knowing the when and that is maybe we should do this but maybe we're not ready to do this mm. one of the hardest things two words very important for this weekend very important for our lives around decision making ready delayed gratification what that doesn't exist anymore Harvey. i know i didn't mean to curse Blast sorry pastor doug Blast i'm done me. i'm done i'm done all right we'll finish that we'll scrub that off <laughs> delayed gratification two of the most beautiful words in the world and two that have gone completely out of vogue it can be yes but not now mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful thing that our faith brings to the table and we'll talk about that this weekend so yeah well, we're just about out of time. We really appreciate you having been on for the last three weeks, Pastor Harv. Thank you. I think Thanks for having me. Getting insight on your views and the way your um, mind is breaking these things down um, that allow us to be active in our faith um, and repair some of these things that have kind of maybe fallen apart throughout the the course of COVID. But I don't think it takes a, a pandemic to get to some of these things that we're experiencing yeah. these days. It's just day-to-day life and having a reminder of, This is what God wants for you. He wants intimacy. He wants you to be able to resolve conflict because it's not avoidable. It's in fact, you should resolve it. You should have great life skill. Yes. And then three, making decisions, but not just making decisions based on what the culture says you should do or even what you want, but what God says and looking to his wisdom and making it a biblical decision. Those things are huge in our lives. And I think sometimes we get so 
sidetracked with so many different other things that we forget these kind of core principles that you've brought back oh. to the table. So well, thank you. I'm glad to do that. that. Uh, one little last thing to finish on that and, and really quick in closing is, is that God actually empowers us to make great decisions. One of the greatest misunderstandings of Christianity is, okay, here's the rule books, do this, don't do this. No, it's actually a thinking book that says, here, let me give you wisdom so that you can apply it in all kinds of great places in your lives. Think of the persons that in your people that are in your life that you consider wise, and you're like, wow, what what makes them that? Well, they've gone to God and said, Lord God, give me wisdom. So we're going to study wisdom this weekend as it relates to decision-making, and it's really been a pleasure to be on this uh, podcast with you. Jesse, thank you very much. We've really appreciated you. Um, We encourage you guys to tune in on Sunday to hear kind of the culmination of all these thoughts, and he's going to be teaching us a lot more on decision-making on Sunday, but also make sure you tune in on Thursday. We are in the middle of the sub-series, What in the Sam Hill, which is kind of a a broad basics overview of if you haven't been listening or you need a refresher on some of these core concepts like deconstructionism, critical race theory, um, Pastor Doug breaks those down in really bite-sized chunks and just kind of wraps them all up so that you can really understand it. Because we bring them up casually, but just having an entire episode just devoted to understanding these principles is really important. And that's what our Thursdays are going to be for this month. So uh, make sure you're tuning in to hear those. But absolutely make sure you tune on on Sunday to hear the wrap up on how to make good decisions with Pastor Sturharv. So thank you guys so much for joining us and we will see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor.